This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Don't miss out on your chance to listen to four-time Super Bowl champ Charlie Weiss on the only podcast solely devoted to everyone's favorite position in football, the quarterback. Listen for free now by subscribing wherever you get podcasts or by going to CelebrityQB.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast, bringing you the latest in sports news, fantasy analysis, and opinions. Don't forget the hot takes. Can't have a sports show without hot takes these days. What about hot cakes, though? Mm, I want some hot cakes. Now, here's your host, ready to jump into the thick of things, Dwayne Callender. Hello and welcome to the show. Got a, quite a bit to talk about today in terms of everything that went on over the weekend with Game 7 between the Cavs Celtics. We had the Champions League Final. We have Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final tonight, as well as Game 7 between the Warriors from Rocket. So uh, let's get right down to it. So uh, we have Game 7 between the Warriors and Rockets. It's in Houston uh, the news came down that Chris Paul is going to be out again tonight. So we basically are going to have a series that will be marked by the disappearance of Chris Paul in Game 6 and 7 due to injury. And the Warriors team that even though it's without Andre Iguodala, this is still very much a decidedly one-sided matchup uh, between Golden State and... Uh, basically being able to roll out an all-star team for starting lineup and a Houston team that predicated itself on James Harden and Chris Paul in the backcourt. You know, does Houston have a chance? Yeah, it, it, there's always a puncher's chance. I, I think Houston has a better chance of winning Game 7 tonight than I felt about Boston last night. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about that game later. That, that was an entire hot mess in of itself. But, uh, you know, it was an interesting game nonetheless for Game 7 purposes. But, yeah, I, I think in the Game 7 situation tonight, you know, there's always a chance that James Harden goes off at home with the Houston crowd and puts up, you know, 55, 60 points and has 10-plus uh, assists and gets his team involved and just shreds the Warriors' defense. There's always that possibility. But how likely is that to happen? I mean, that's what the... Uh, that's what they have to rely upon in terms of uh, an actual scenario here uh, for the Rockets. Uh, just because, again, Clay Thompson went off in Game 6. You still have not had a monster game yet from Steph Curry or Kevin Durant, which is, you know, very disappointing, to be honest. This Golden State team has coasted throughout this entire series, in my opinion. Uh, they should have been a lot better than what we've gotten thus far in the series. So, I mean, that's a testament to Houston's play, uh, playing some at Monaco of defense, which, you know, I, I would never say about a Mike D'Antoni team. So I got to give the credit to Jeff Bizdelic, the assistant coach, because I know D'Antoni knows nothing about defense, having watched his tenure with the Knicks and knowing that he has no clue how to run a defensive set if, it, if our lives depend on it. But, you know, credit to the Rockets. They have done what they can against this Golden State team to get in their grill, make it difficult for them to get space, and get off quality shots. I mean, this was my knock against Golden State throughout the years is the fact that they never really played a tough physical defensive matchup outside of the Memphis Grizzlies uh, uh, back when they won their first title uh, three years ago because of the fact that uh, in that uh, in that season, uh, you had Mike Conley going down with an ankle injury, and Golden State uh, being able to rally back in that series to uh, to win it from Memphis. I thought they had a very much were in danger of losing that series uh, to Memphis uh, as long as uh, Conley doesn't get hurt. But you know, uh, revisionist history is always going to say the Warriors uh, 
uh, we're always going to win uh, win that uh, championship, uh, that first title. But, uh, you know, the aspect that I look at it here is that, you know, you've got a Warriors team that has not played up to their potential yet. It, it's very apparent that it's just uh, something that they're going to have to work on. So uh, I'm, I'm very much curious to see how the Warriors come out tonight in Game 7 because... In my opinion, the Warriors need to put the foot on the gas pedal early and actually take care of business because if the Rockets get even a glimmer of hope and they can start grinding their way, you know, maybe that Houston crowd can carry them to a win that they probably don't have any business earning uh, because, you know, as it stands, the Warriors have all the tools uh, that they need to take care of business and go on to the NBA Finals uh, to play LeBron and the Cavs. You know, it's just that simple. The the Rockets don't have enough firepower, and you know, yeah, there's always a chance that you get a Harden dropping 50, uh, 50 plus points and uh, a number of assists. And yeah, there's always a chance that Eric Gordon can go off and, and drop thirty plus points uh, to go along with Harden dropping 30, uh, 35, 40 points. I just don't see Houston scoring enough points to get it done. I think there's gonna they're gonna need to do a lot more uh, on the offensive end to win this game seven tonight. I I do see uh, the Warriors putting up uh, more than a hundred points tonight, so they're gonna have to figure out a way of uh, get getting the job done. So I, I'm I'm gonna have to say that uh, this is a decidedly gonna be in the fa uh, in the uh, favor of uh, the Warriors. So. You know, again, Houston has a puncher's chance. I'm just not completely convinced that it's going to be anything uh, remotely troubling the Warriors. I, I think the Warriors take this one. And I think they take it by uh, at a, pretty much at around the range of a, a 110 to 101 type score. I, I think, you know, the Rockets uh, keep it somewhat close where, you know, the fans are still engaged. So I don't think it's going to be a complete uh, blowout. But. You know, I just don't see them getting over the hump. Uh, so uh, we'll see how it goes, though. Now, in terms of guys that I would look for, uh, definitely in terms of an X factor, I would say Eric Gordon. With Chris Paul out, the Rockets have got to have a second score. Uh, Gordon is the most likely candidate to be that guy just because he's the most consistent shooter outside of Harden on the team. Uh, I mean, he and he can take the ball to the basket as well. So I, I look for Eric Gordon to step up and uh, put uh, put in some quality minutes for the Rockets because they're going to need uh, that aspect of, uh, to his game to emerge. Now, in terms of Harden himself, he's got to score and distribute the ball. Uh, there's no getting around it. Like, Harden needs to have 10-plus assists tonight. Uh, I mean, he can have the turnovers, ideally, rather not, because makes it a lot harder on the transition defense. But those guys will hustle, so they'll get back in position. But Harden has to look to get guys involved in the offense just to make it easier on himself to score the basket. So, in terms of the game, uh, like I said, uh, I think Golden State takes it. And I think it's going to be a case where you got uh, Curry or Durant uh, going off. Uh, Clay Thompson hasn't really shown... Uh, the ability to do two major games back-to-back. Uh, but, you know, again, it's a Game 7, and you haven't had a big game from Curry or Durant really to speak of in this series yet. So I think just because of the fact of the circumstances, it's just uh, a case where uh, they kind of go off and uh, take care of business. So with that being said, obviously I already – Told you that the Cavs won last night in an ugly game. Uh, you know, I'm going to say a few words here, and I'm just going to kind of turn the page because, honestly, this game does not warrant that much discussion, uh, in my opinion. I said it from the outset, the Cavs were going to win this series. The only question was going to be whether it was going to be six games or seven games, depending on if Boston won game five in Boston. You know, even when the Celtics were up 2-0, I had full confidence in Cleveland winning the series, even though... The, the Cavaliers players themselves didn't seem to have all that much confidence. Uh, and we're just kind of looking at LeBron to see if he can carry him, which he did again. Uh, but, you know, for all the people saying that this is LeBron's greatest accomplishment, please stop embarrassing yourselves. 
I mean, this was one of the weakest Eastern conferences that you will ever see. Boston had no business being in this Eastern Conference uh, final. It's just that Philly dropped the ball. Boston, even though they had quality uh, play from their rookies, again, had no real playoff experience on that roster outside of Al Horford, who basically was a captain for Atlanta when they were getting ushered out of the playoffs by LeBron. It's just not quite the same. Boston had youth and athleticism, which is what kept them in the series because they can make things difficult and force the Cavs to actually do things that they don't like to do, like play defense and hustle for the ball. They don't like doing that for 30 minutes in a game, let alone a full uh, six, uh, a full uh, four, 48 minutes uh, in a, a matchup. And, you know, I think that for the most part, the Cavs at least put in an honest day's work last night, even though no one could shoot the basketball to save their lives. Uh, Boston was particularly atrocious uh, shooting the ball because they were under 20% shooting from three-point range. Uh, you know, Cavs weren't that much better. They were only 25%. But, you know, the Cavs at least forced out uh, uh, the Celtics to ranges where they should not be shooting the, fo- uh, shooting the basketball. I mean, Marcus Smart, you know, love his hustle, love his grit, determination, all those intangibles. Marcus Smart cannot be making upwards of 18 to $20 million in the NBA. He cannot shoot the basketball. There's no getting around it. I know Marcus Smart is a hard effort guy, and some of those intangibles do not show up in the stat sheet. I get all that. But at the end of the day, you still have to be able to score the basketball in order to win basketball games. And Marcus Smart you know, throughout his NBA career has not shown that he can accurately score the basketball to be a consistent 12 to 15 point guy on a night to night basis. And that's not going to cut it in the playoffs. When you need baskets in the playoffs, you need guys to at least get you 10 points, you know, doing a couple of free throws here and there and a bucket, bucket here or two there. You can't have five, seven points a game and then maybe have the 11 point maybe once or twice in the series. you got to have consistent scoring. That's why Boston lost the series. Jason Tatum was doing all the heavy lifting from a scoring department standpoint. You know, you had Horford chipping in his points, but he's not going to be a 20-point scorer. Jalen Brown had a couple of flashes here and there. But the end of the day, the Boston Celtics did not have enough quality scoring throughout that lineup to replace the fact that they didn't have Kyrie Irving or Gordon Hayward in the lineup. Yes, those guys are not going to play a lick of defense. But what those guys can do, they can shoot the basketball and they can get tough baskets when needed. And that's what you actually need to do when playoff games. Because uh, teams are eventually going to play defense in the NBA. You know, it, it's like the it's like the mythical unicorn that like all of a sudden teams start playing defense and now uh, uh, analysts go gaga over the defense being played. It's like, no, it's not great defense. It's just the fact that these NBA teams are so lazy during the regular season that when they play defense in the postseason, it, it, it comes across like a, a big shock that uh, teams can actually play defense. It, you know, it's a eff- matter of effort, not necessarily of uh, technical X's and O's being employed there. It's just a matter of how much are you willing to expend energy making the proper rotations, but... You know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. So, from a Boston standpoint, you know, great learning experience. But you kind of knew what you had it in the team is that that team was not good enough to get to an NBA Finals. If it got to the NBA Finals, it would have been a testament to how bad the Eastern Conference was this year, which it proved out to be because Cleveland has no business being in the NBA uh, Finals, even though they have LeBron. But neither did Boston. You know, there were a number of teams that dropped the ball. Philly could have accelerated the process and would be far better off if they actually got the draft right and (laughs) took Jason Tatum instead of Markel Fultz. But that's, uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. Even with the roster they had, Philly could have won it. Toronto, I make fun of Toronto because I know they can't win uh, win the Eastern Conference because of their team selection doesn't make a lick of sense. But that Pacers team could, could have uh, won it. It was wide open in the Eastern Conference this year because of the fact that all those teams were basically around the same range of each other outside of Philly. But Philly just did not have 
the actual guile or experience to overcome their technical shortfalls when they uh, things got hard for them. When things got hard, Philly self-destructed. And that's why you needed a quality, uh, a more seasoned coach to actually avoid that happening. You know, because of all the uh, deficiencies with the Eastern Conference teams, that's why you see LeBron in the finals. Because LeBron knows exactly what he needs to do to win and how to execute it. And he will be able to carry as many scrubs as it takes to get to the NBA Finals, which he did yet again for the ninth straight year. Again, I'm not going to call this LeBron's greatest achievement because, again, the Easter Conference has been terrible for the last last couple of years. That streak would have been snapped a couple of years ago if uh, LeBron actually had to play out in the West. And even though if you put him on a team like Portland uh, and swap him for Damian Lillard, yeah, he'd get to the Finals a couple of times, but no way he gets it to a nine straight years in a row. It, you know, it's not happening. But it is what it is. So, uh, again, like I said, I look for Warriors to win Game 7, and really doesn't matter how the, uh, who, who actually wins Game 7, they're going to win the NBA Finals. So, for all intents and purposes, this is the uh, NBA Finals uh, uh, champion. Uh, because uh, outside of, like, multiple injuries happening, I just don't see it uh, coming down to a place where uh, these teams are going to be able to, uh, <laughs> like, not, I mean, I'm not going to say don't watch the NBA Finals, but it's a foregone conclusion of how the NBA Finals are going to end. You know, Cleveland may get one game. That's about it. And then the other team's going to actually have a chance, uh, going to have a chance to celebrate on their home court in game five. That's, uh, that's uh, the long and short of it. Anyway, I. Uh, Going to move on to the Stanley Cup final tonight between Washington and the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, Washington is the underdog in this series uh, to Vegas. And it's just coming from the standpoint of everyone has been downing Vegas for so long and their home ice dominance uh, is hard to ignore. Uh, Now, for everyone wondering, like, what this great story is with Vegas... And how everyone's raving about, you know, it's a great story with Vegas, this, that, and the other. I look at it as just, this sums up the stupidity of NHL owners uh, as a whole. Uh, I mean, the simple fact of the matter is, is that Vegas has little to no business being in the Stanley Cup Finals, except for the fact that all these teams so badly mismanaged the, the young talent that were on their rosters that they unprotected the wrong players because they were so worried about the salary cap situations of a bunch of other players uh, on their roster that, and, uh, you know, they essentially screwed themselves over. Uh, I don't necessarily think that Vegas was brilliant in how they cultivated players, but I do give Vegas credit in that they established a culture wherein they kind of reinforced uh, the notion within that entire locker room that it's us against the world. We are the castoffs that nobody wanted and were left unprotected by our teams. And to a certain extent, no one else in the NHL had that because you still had guys that were left unprotected by their NHL team that could have been drafted by Vegas, that weren't drafted by Vegas, that had to go back to their clubs pissed off that they were left unprotected in the first place. You know, again... I don't know why the NHL came about a, uh, an expansion draft s- set up that way, but it created a whole bunch of dynamics uh, that led to this moment because you have a Vegas team that literally is playing with house money. No one expected them to be here. And to be honest, they all have chip on their shoulders. And guess what? They work their asses off. You know, they, they can score spectacular plays because they have William Carlson from Florida and, uh, you know, the Panthers let them walk, which I still will never understand. They let Marshall Salt walk. I will never understand. And, oh, by the way, the coach in Vegas Golden Knights was the former coach of the Panthers who was unceremoniously fired and left on the side of the road to go order his own taxi when he was fired and taken off the team bus with his bags in tow, no less. Uh, you know, you got a bunch of guys that are lunch pail workers because they were shown the door by each and every one of their teams. 
and now they're cranky about it. And you know what? Being pissed off is a great motivator in professional sports. So, from that standpoint, Vegas is going to play a, a strong four-check game as always. They're going to pressure uh, the puck. They're going to try to cause some turnovers. Uh, they can score some spectacular goals. And guess what? They can also grind out some goals. Now, if you contrast that with the Washington Capitals, you know, the strangest thing about this Capitals team is this is one of the least talented Washington teams I have ever seen. Uh, I give Ovechkin credit in this regard. All the spectacular plays that we're used to seeing with Ovi have not been followed by some of the equally spectacular dumb plays that Ovechkin usually does that gets himself involved in the penalty box or stirs up the other team to motivate them to rise above uh, the challenge he's representing and and, uh, um, rally their squads to beat the Capitals. Because that's usually what's happened in uh, the postseason throughout his entire career. So I actually do give him credit for being an old dog who actually learned not to be a screw-up. So uh, in that regard, this is Ovechkin's best work, mainly because, you know, by comparison, his prior work in the postseason was pretty much an utter embarrassment. And the Caps fans know this. So I look at this series in a way where, once again, Vegas is going up against a squad where they they have less talent than the other squad, but they're going to have to outwork them. Washington is coming into this as a series where they finally have a chance to win the cup, and they're more talented than this other team. They just have to figure out Flurry. Now, the one bugaboo about this series is that while Marc-Andre Fleury has stopped a bunch of, of players uh, in this postseason, the one guy that's always had his number in his NHL career is Ovechkin. Uh, he's allowed more goals to Ovechkin than any other player in the NHL throughout his entire career. Now, does that necessarily play into Ovechkin scores a bunch of goals? Not necessarily. But it does play into the mind games of, oh, I have to be more concentrated with Ovechkin on the ice. And maybe that takes your uh, uh, focus away from some of the other lines that are going to be rolling out. So I wouldn't be surprised if you get, you know, some danger being caused by the likes of TJ Oshie and Backstrom uh, on the second line while he's focused on Ovi on the first line. You know, sometimes things like that happen where you start overcompensating and you're trying to change up all your lineups to negate one guy and you look and you allow some of the other guys on the squad to go off because that that's essentially what's happened with Washington. Uh, Backstrom and Oshi have been dominating the second lines of other teams this entire postseason. It happened with Pittsburgh and it definitely happened with Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, uh, T- Tampa had no answers for TJ Oshi and uh, Nicholas Backstrom uh, so far in the playoffs. So uh, I, I look at Vegas and I'll, um, you know, I see the lines favoring Vegas. I actually picked uh, the Capitals to win this series in six, uh, you know, just from the standpoint of, you know, Ovechkin has managed to avoid all the potholes that usually have derailed his playoff campaigns. So given the fact that he's somewhat matured this season in terms of his game and not overcommitting to hitting guys, taking uh, bad penalties in the offensive zone, He's done the little things, and he's he's even blocked some shots, believe it or not. Uh, you know, it's one of those situations where I think Washington can follow his example and grind out a victory, even though I think Vegas is a tougher team in terms of doing lunch pail type of work. I just think that the skill level from the Capitals uh, can do just enough to eke out a series uh, victory here uh, in the Stanley Cup Final. Although I'm gonna enjoy it uh, very much, even though they were, uh, I hate the Capitals so quite a bit and their fan bases, uh, fan base for that matter. But you know, I'm still gonna watch it as a fan because that's just the way I am. But uh, I think it should be a very entertaining series, nonetheless. So regardless of who your rooting interest for is in the series. Hey, Throwdown Nation, are you at the bottom of your fantasy league wondering what is going on with your quarterback? Well, I think I've got a new show that may just fit the bill for you. The show is called Celebrity QB, featuring four-time Super Bowl champion coach Charlie Weiss. Unlike other football shows, you'll get the inside scoop on all things quarterbacks to get your burning questions answered, such as, 
Is this the year Tom Brady finally looks his age? Can Aaron Rodgers actually play a full season on one healthy leg? And can Dak Prescott actually lead the Cowboys to a Super Bowl in spite of Jerry Jones? Coach Weiss and co-host Steve Strau have got you covered on all things quarterbacks. Listen now on Apple Podcasts or any major media platform. Celebrity QB, everyone's favorite position. All right, so uh, talked about uh, the games. Uh, also want to get into the Champions League final because this was an utter mess. So Champions League final involving Real Madrid and Liverpool FC. Uh, Liverpool came into this kind of with house money as uh, the Premier League club. You know, English teams have not done particularly well in the history of Champions League because it's never been the true focus of uh, the Premier League, uh, to be honest. Uh, the Premier League kind of big times the, uh, the Champions League, even though uh, they probably should take it more seriously. The only uh, English club that really takes it uh, that seriously, I, and yes, I know Liverpool has won the most titles in the Champions League uh, history, but the only team that really puts a priority on it is Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea very much likes uh, to win the uh, Champions League just because that's what their owner wants. Uh, Roman Abramovich has fired multiple Chelsea managers for not uh, coming close to securing uh, a Champions League title. Now, on the flip side, Liverpool will compete uh, for the Premier League title as a priority, but once that's out of the range, they'll uh, compete in the cup competitions to at least win the trophy. That was the case this year. Uh, Man City ran away with the Premier League title, so Liverpool put in all their efforts to win Champions League, and they, you know, they had a great squad, and they t- they took it to Man City, knocked them out, and uh, they actually did what they needed to do against a Roma squad that had no business being there, but they R- Roma managed to pull out a miracle victory against Barcelona, and uh, Liverpool took care of Roma. So Liverpool found themselves in the Champions League final against uh, Real Madrid. Except for one problem. Liverpool still had one of the worst goalkeeping situations in professional soccer. Now, again, this was always something that has been known throughout the season. It's not an easily correctable problem because, you know, bringing in the keeper midseason without knowing the back line, that can always be tricky because they need to be able to communicate who does what in certain situations. What happened on Saturday, I mean, might have gone down as the worst case of jitters I've ever seen from a professional soccer player. Uh, I mean, there's no way of describing anything other than having the yips on national TV and going through a career meltdown. For those of you who were not watching sports bloopers over the weekend... Uh, Loris carries the keeper for Liverpool. Just, I mean, it's hard to even describe how bad these bloopers were. But uh, in a scoreless game in the second half of the Champions League final, uh, Carius, upon receiving the ball, uh, decided to roll it out to his defender, not paying attention to the fact that Kareem Benzema of Real Madrid was right next to him. And basically kicked the ball into the net as soon as Lucarius released the ball. It's not a penalty on Benzema's part because no keeper in the world would ever slowly roll the ball out to his defender without at least checking his immediate surroundings to make sure no one else was around to immediately intercept the ball or close in on his defender and cause him to turn the ball over. It's just basic goalkeeping 101 that Carius didn't even bother to do. So that was the first howler. Uh, so uh, Liverpool actually managed to equalize the game uh, five minutes later and uh, the 55th minute, but damage was already done uh, because I thought Carius's confidence was shot at that point. I didn't think he was going to make a single save uh, the rest of the game, to be perfectly honest. Uh, then uh, the... <laughs> the secret weapon for Real Madrid was unveiled with Gareth Bale, uh, who is going to be on his way out of Real Madrid without question. But uh, 
you know, he gave uh, Real Madrid fans something to remember him by uh, with just an incredible bicycle kick goal uh, that will be remembered for years to come uh, just because of how beautiful it looked. Uh, but uh, that was the most memorable moment of the match. Carries had no chance of saving that one. Uh, but the third goal by Real Madrid, uh, again, uh, Bale just kicks it at Carrius, and Carrius just botches it completely. It just goes off his hands and into the net. I mean, it was the quintessential just meltdown by a keeper because, you know, the basic elements of being a keeper is being able to catch a ball that's hit directly at you, and, you know, he just... It just glances off his hands and into the net. I mean, it's just as simple as that. He had no confidence at that point. So everyone was talking about Karius on Twitter and here uh, in the internet and all the pundits. But what no one actually manages to come across, which was the most defining moment of the game, is Sergio Ramos, the player I can't stand the absolute most in professional soccer just because of how much of a prick he is. Uh, there I said it, uh, you know, there, there are certain guys that I don't like in sports. He's a pretty much at the top of my list just because of how unlikable the guy is. I, I could never have him on one of my teams without getting into an argument with him. But uh, Sergio Ramos literally taking Mohamed Salah's arm as he's going down and l- making sure to land right on top of his shoulder to make sure he dislocates it. And anyone who says contrary otherwise that it was unintentional needs to relook at the videotape. Clearly, you see uh, uh, when Salah is going down, Ramos has his arm, proceeds to roll over onto the back end of Salah's shoulder, causing it to have some sort of shoulder dislocation. You know, Salah tried to continue on in the game, but uh, was... Had to be withdrawn within five uh, within five minutes of the injury. Uh, to be honest, I thought Liverpool might have been able to try to work on him on the sideline to at least give it a uh, give it a go a little bit further and play down a few men just to give themselves a chance. But if uh, Salah wanted to stay out there, uh, you could tell like how much he was crying about it. But you know, you could see. I mean, I don't understand how a referee can look at that play and not see what anyone else who's seeing that at home, or at least ask his linesman to see if there was anything else going on there, because that's not a natural play the way Ramos fell on top of Salah. That's a deliberate attempt to actually injure a player. That should have been a red card. Then was uh, the fact that, you know, uh, (laughs) I mean, let's be frank here. We're in after getting shoved in the back by Virgil van Dijk on on a set piece, Ramos leads with an elbow to Karius' jaw. Karius can play the referee, but, you know, nothing really happened on the play because the ref didn't see it. But the replay clearly shows that uh, Ramos led with the elbow as he pretended to show that he was going off balance. You know, I, I just look at it as, like, it's the totality of the situation where you got a guy out there just making plays happen in a dirty way but you know it is what it is at at this point I mean the loss is on carries but the most defining play out of that one uh wherein uh you know the (laughs) uh wherein uh Liverpool really did not have a chance of winning that game came down to the fact that uh you know it was uh, it, it was a case of uh the play of Sergio Ramos just going above and beyond, you know, normal decency to make sure he won a game. Yes, it's his fourth Champions League victory uh, and it's the title, but, you know, it, it's just one of those where you could sense uh, the fact that no one will ever respect him as a football player once he retires. It's just... It's universal dislike for the guy. Uh, you know, yes, he's won, but man, oh man, do I get, do I not stand him? And I know he doesn't give a damn either. I mean, he truly does not care one iota what people think about him. He's all about getting a W. And you know what? It's worked for him thus far in his career. I, I just, 
I just know that one day it's gonna come back and bite him in the ass, and not a single person is gonna shed a tear over it. Anyway, let's uh, get back into some of the other news that uh, transpired. Uh, Liverpool signed Fabinho. Uh, he had been with Monaco. He's a defensive midfielder. Uh, of course, uh, there's reports that Arsenal tried to sign him because why not Arsenal trying to be late to the party without actually having a set plan in place to make a move on someone, uh, you know, and getting nowhere in the process and looking embarrassed. Uh, the Fabinho uh, news uh, linking him to Liverpool was in the work uh, works for a couple months now. Uh, Fabinho, uh, you know, was uh, linked to uh, Liverpool after uh, the, the Coutinho move, uh, just because of the amount of money they received. Uh, it, you know, it, it was expected that uh, he was coming along afterwards, uh, but uh, the case. Of I mean, they had the money from the Coutinho uh, deal. Plus, Emery Khan was expected to leave just because of the contract talks had broken down. So uh, it was uh, going to be a case where uh, Fabinho's coming in to replace Khan uh, and be that kind of defensive stopper uh, for Liverpool moving forward. You know, we'll see if Liverpool sorts out the goalkeeping situation just because, you know, even though the the line of Liverpool is you never walk alone, I can't foresee any scenario where Loris Karius gets a chance of being in net for Liverpool next year in any meaningful capacity. I think the best move would be to a lot. I mean, he's only 24 years old. He he's gonna hopefully learn from this experience. But uh, it's just the case where uh, the the amount of blowback that's would come from fans from a bad game it's just not it's just not a healthy situation for him to be uh going back and forth uh uh with uh liverpool at this point so in that standpoint you have carius out the door uh, simon mignolet who's been in net for liverpool for the last few years now uh more often than not just a basket case of Emotions. You never know what Mignolet is going to do on a given moment. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just you you scratch your head at some of the moves Mignolet makes uh, at times. He makes some great saves and then compounds it with just an equally dumb move as well and being out of position. So uh, it, I just can't see Mignolet even coming back in any capacity of Liverpool. So you got two goalkeeper spots that they need to fill for next year. So, uh that might be uh, proving a bit difficult. So, with all that being said, uh, I, I look at this as a case where Liverpool blew a golden chance, but it was a case where they didn't have a choice because Sergio Ramos took it away from them uh, pretty early in, in the game uh, because even though Liverpool won the uh, pace of play for the tw uh, first 20 minutes, once uh, Salah went down with the injury at the 24th minute, uh, the game pretty much turned into uh, the best case scenario would be if Liverpool could have forced that game into penalty kicks, uh, which is not the most uh, uh, thrilling way of winning a uh, soccer match. But, you know, uh, Carriers made sure that it did not come down to PKs. All right, so I uh, want to cap off the show uh, with uh, this nugget that came across. Uh, so, uh, uh, just uh, saw some of the baseball highlights uh, today, uh, and th there was a debate going on on Twitter that I saw, and it's uh, from the uh, Cubs-Pirates game. Uh, you know, there's dirty plays like what Sergio Ramos did, and then there are actual productive physical plays, which is what Anthony Rizzo did against the Pirates today. So, you got a situation where uh, batter at the plate, uh, uh, Rizzo's at third. You got one out. There's a chance for a double play to happen. Uh, ground ball gets hit, uh, and the relay throw comes into home because they're trying to cut off the run. So uh, Rizzo's going to be out. Catcher receives the ball for the Pirates. He receives the ball and, stick, and keeps his uh, uh, back leg out. 
and it's still on the plate, which is bad technique because the proper technique would have the catcher stride along the first baseline in diagonal fashion to make sure he's well out of the way. Meanwhile, Anthony Rizzo's uh, plowing down the line. He knows he's going to be out. He sees that he's out, but he does a hook. Uh, he does a, a straight leg slide and makes sure that his lead leg clips the back leg of uh, the Pirates catcher, forcing him to airmail the ball. So if this was Cervelli behind the plate, uh, this would not have happened because Cervelli is a very good defensive catcher. Uh, I did not catch the name of the Pittsburgh catcher uh, who was behind the plate today for the Pirates, but that was bad technique because he left his back leg out there exposed, which is a big no-no from catching days and do even little league we we get taught not to do that because that's how you get yourself hurt now everyone's complaining on twitter that it's a dirty play by rizzo because you can blow out a knee that way guess what it's very well possible you can blow out a knee but there's no way you're even at risk of that if you follow proper technique rizzo has an obligation to his own team to actually break up the double play, uh, even if there's a remote chance of injury uh, for that. What Ramos did was just try to directly injure a guy. Rizzo just uh, broke up a play because he saw the leg standing out there, and he figured, hey, if I take him down, he can't get a proper throw off and double up my guy, and it's only a three-run game at that point. You know, anything can happen. The Cubs could easily lose that game. So he's, he's got to make the effort of take, uh, taking out the catcher, which he does. And, uh, you know, the catcher amrails the ball and allows a couple more runs to score for the Cubs. That turned into a whole issue. And like I said, the debate on Twitter was that uh, it comes across as though Rizzo's a dirty player, which is not the case. Rizzo did a hard play, but it's not a dirty play because that is something that you're expected to to do. You're expected to uh, break up the double play, and the catcher put himself in a very bad spot by leaving his back leg exposed, thus allowing him to be taken out of the play. You know, if he follows the proper procedure and actually strides properly down the first baseline while uh, touching across home plate, Rizzo's out anyway, and he can't get taken out on the, on the backside. I just felt as though... Uh, the catcher just did not use proper technique and just assumed that Rizzo wouldn't take him out. You never make assumptions on the baseball field if a runner's going to take you out or not uh, uh, around the home plate or uh, the base pass. Uh, you know, I've seen second basemen do this where they, they're leaving their legs exposed, uh, uh, putting themselves at risk of an injury because the, uh, the neighborhood play's uh, gone, but, you know, they, they're saying that the replay rule of sliding... Uh, can uh, can uh, call a guy out, so they, they're they're banking on the replay rule, bailing them out of the situation. If a guy's looking to take you out, he's going to take you out. It, you know, it's just up to the defender to use proper judgment and uh, foot placement to make sure they get the out without getting themselves injured. And that's something that's been lost in baseball the last few years as they made all these rule changes to try to take contact out of the sport when you're going to have contact in certain situations. So that's my tidbit there. There's going to be plenty of talk about it uh, tomorrow across all the sports leagues. Uh, you know, it's it's going to happen because the the, uh, the Cubs and Pirates are going to play each other some more this year. There's going to be some beanball wars between the te teams because I know the Pirates aren't going to let it go with Rizzo, but it's a stupid argument that they're going to have because, in my opinion, Rizzo did the right thing because you got to play hard, you got to, play physical, but you kept it fair. If the Pirates catcher is not going to put himself in a uh, position to protect himself, Rizzo has all rights in the world of trying to break up the double play. You know, he didn't go out of his way to take the guy out, but, you know, the guy left himself exposed, so Rizzo, uh, Rizzo broke up the double play the uh, best way he knew how, and that's actually proper technique. So, most interesting fact uh, of the day and this is uh, my last bit uh, to uh, close out the show. The most expensive game in the world was played in the weekend, and not too many people actually realized it happened. And the game itself was 
Aston Villa versus Fulham. English Championship uh, final, uh, playoff final. So, people uh, who don't realize what uh, this actually means is the fact that, uh, you know, by all rights and purposes, you know, you got two squads most people don't even know about. But, in reality of the situation is, uh, the winner of this matchup was going to get promoted to the Premier League. And with the television rights of the Premier League in play, technically this is the most expensive game in the world. Because the winner of this matchup gets a share of the Premier League TV profits, which actually amounts to £165 million. So in terms of U.S. dollars, you're talking well over $180 million. Uh, You know, this is a huge deal, obviously. Uh, just because, again, it all comes down to one game <laughs> being worth that much money to a particular franchise. So uh, Fulham actually uh, did just enough to beat uh, Villa uh, one uh, one nothing on a first half goal. Uh, but again, it's one of those situations where this is actually the most <laughs> the most attention filled game because. Yes, while uh, the Champions League final, there's all the accolades involved. English Championship football is one of the gr- uh, grind, uh, biggest, gr- biggest grinds in all of soccer. Just because there are more teams than most leagues, and you play more games than in most leagues. And only two teams get automatically promoted for having the best records. And then the remaining four teams have to go through... A grueling playoff with half legs because at that point you've played well over 70 games in all competitions of uh, uh, basic European, uh, uh, basic English uh, rule plays and all the many uh, competitions that uh, the lower divisions have in England uh, to just get to this point. So uh, it's a brutal finish for Aston Villa who are hoping. To get right back into uh, the Premier League after getting uh, relegated uh, not too long ago. Fulham is back in the Premier League after being gone for four years. Uh, it's not an easy road to get back into the Premier League once you get relegated. So uh, Fulham's back in the mix. Villa is still searching for a way to get back in there. Uh, and there's no guarantee Villa's going to be there next year either. Uh, the other teams that are going to be joining the Premier League uh, next season. Uh, Wolves won uh, the championship this year after being out of the Premier League since I believe it was 20, uh, 2012, the last time Wolves was in uh, the Premier League. Uh, Cardiff City finished in second, so they're back in the league after being out for three years. Uh, but, you know, it's it's not easy yet. Like uh, in the Premier League, I, I mean, once you fall out of it, it's very easy to get sucked up in mediocrity. Uh, you know, uh, there are a bunch of teams like QPR, Reading, and Bolton uh, that, you know, never recovered. I mean, Wigan went through the double drop. Uh, you, you got a number. I mean, uh, I mean, it's Blackburn. I mean, there were teams that just never came back. I mean, uh, Sunderland uh, just went through the double drop uh, uh, this uh, past season, so they're going to League One. It's not easy once you start losing those finances uh, on a global scale in the Premier League. That's why it's one of the more compelling aspects of uh, professional sports because of how much money is involved and how much the promotion battles and just staying up in the Premier League even if you're a bottom-feeding club. I mean, that's why I I look at a team like West Brom getting relegated. Uh, I'm not sure how West Brom, uh, just because I wasn't sold on some of the signings West Brom made over the last few years, if they actually had the capacity to reinvest in their club to avoid uh, being mired in the championship for a couple of years, or worse, going down to League One. So uh, uh, quite a bit uh, to see as the summer unfolds uh, for... Uh, professional soccer so i'm gonna sign off now because uh uh, we got uh i gotta start uh uh, getting ready for some of the games tonight uh 
a lot of uh, baseball has already been played today, uh, uh, but uh, should be a couple of de decent games on the nightcap. Uh, um, mainly, it's uh, going to be a, a case of, I mean, uh, the Mets and Braves are playing in Atlanta. You also have uh, the Rockies uh, Giants game that should be been interesting from a fantasy perspective. Uh, Minnesota Kansas City again uh, should be an interesting uh, uh, contest from at least a fantasy perspective. The way I'm looking at it, uh, I mean not, the the best teams already played earlier uh, today uh, with the Yankees losing to the Astros, but uh, we'll see how it goes and uh, we'll see how uh, the game seven. Uh, uh, goes between the Warriors and Houston. Uh, like I said, I'd be surprised that the Warriors dropped this one just because it would be such a stunning defeat and embarrassing defeat to, for the most part because it pretty much uh, seals the fact that uh, Kevin Durant cannot win unless he's in a front-running type of position. But uh, we'll see how it goes uh, uh, in the games tonight and uh, we'll see uh, the NHL action as well. So, that's all for now. Have a good night, everyone. It's the most talked about position in all of sports, the quarterback. And now there's a show solely dedicated to the most sought after role on the field, Celebrity QB, featuring four-time Super Bowl champion coach, Charlie Weiss. Unlike other football shows, you'll get the inside scoop on all things quarterbacks. Like, is this the year Tom Brady finally looks his age? Will dating Danica Patrick distract Aaron Rodgers? I mean, he's dating Danica Patrick, Charlie. We're interested in that, you know? Well, I mean, Tommy's got Giselle. I'll, I'll take Giselle, okay? <laughs> is Dak Prescott good enough to win a Super Bowl for the Cowboys? Which rookie quarterback has the best shot of making a positive impact in 2018? How about intellectually, Charlie, as far as what they ask the quarterbacks to do now? The game has changed, but the pressure that's put on quarterbacks and it always been put on quarterbacks is tremendous. Join Charlie Weiss and co-host Steve Strout on an all-new podcast from Lasting Media, exclusively about quarterbacks. Subscribe now at Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Celebrity QB, everyone's favorite position. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.